Welcome to Season 3 of the Cornerstone Bible Church Women's Bible Study Podcast, Beatitudes, The Beauty of Blessing. I'm Heather Hitzeroth, and this is Episode 6. Today, we're going to look at the sixth Beatitude from Matthew 5 and talk about purity. How can we be pure in heart? Is Jesus talking about internal purity or external purity? What blessing can we expect when we pattern our heart after this beatitude? Let's find out now and look at this verse together. Matthew 5, 8 Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Dear Father, we are so grateful that you've given us scripture so that we are able to know you better. Please soften and humble our hearts today in preparation to learn and grow from your word. Amen. Last week, we saw that once we have experienced God's mercy, the natural outflow from our own hearts is to show mercy to others. And in the same way, with purity, when we are given a pure heart, we can expect that our outward purity will grow as well. But where do we get this pure heart? Well, once again, we should be reminded here that we are utterly dependent on God's favor and grace to be able to live out this kingdom characteristic. Something that is pure is without stain or defilement. To purify something is to cleanse it from filthiness. And that describes exactly what happens when our hearts are made right with God. Throughout the Bible, the word heart is described as something that is connected to our thoughts, our will, and our emotions. So this phrase, the pure in heart, expresses an inward holiness of our being that affects how we think, what we do, and how we feel and express ourselves. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. And we know that that answer is no one can. (laughs) Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And then in Habakkuk 1, 13, it says, God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. Only the pure in heart will be admitted into his presence. So already we can see a problem. God is pure in holiness, and our hearts defile us from the beginning. We're born with impure hearts because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. The only way we can be admitted into God's presence is if our impure hearts are cleansed. And I'm sure you know where I'm taking this. The cleansing of our hearts is not something we are able to do on our own. We can't perfect purity of heart by our own righteousness or holiness. If we want to be pure, we need God to wash our hearts. Before Jesus, the Messiah Redeemer, arrived, the answer to getting purity of heart was to use a professional substitute. God's people used priests. And while God demanded perfect purity from His people, He also put provisions in place, namely the sacrificial system, to assure that their failure to live up to His standard would not exclude them from the covenant He had made with them and to grant forgiveness for their sins. A sin offering would work something like this. An unblemished animal was to be brought to a priest, and the priest was required to lay both of his hands on the head of the animal and confess over it all the sins of the people. Because sin merits divine judgment, this was symbolic and signified the transference of sin from the people to the animal who would receive the judgment the people's sin deserved. The priest would then perform the sacrifice. 
the high priest would also need to regularly sacrifice for his own sins as well to make sure that his intercession for the people, being the only one who could enter into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, was accounted for. And as you can imagine, with so many people needing atonement for their sins, this was busy work, and I'm sure the priests got very tired. And yet, did you know that there were no chairs in their tabernacle? And there's actually a very deliberate reason why they didn't set up a place to rest there. The lack of chairs was meant to signify that their work was never done. Even they knew that the blood of the animals could never permanently purify the sins of mankind. And so it went on for centuries that priest after priest would work in the temple, never sitting on the job and knowing the task was never fully finished. And then Jesus showed up. He lived a holy, blameless, pure, unblemished life. And the sacrifice he offered of his own life was done once and for all. The book of Hebrews calls Jesus our great high priest who truly met our need because he didn't need to offer sacrifices over and over again. So now listen to what the author of Hebrews says about what Jesus did after that one-time perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 8.1 says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Jesus sat down. The work was finished, friends. His blood was enough. What Jesus accomplished through his perfect human life, his death on the cross and his resurrection, was complete and final atonement for all sin. Past, present, future. Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, perfect in purity, was the only permanent solution for impure hearts to be made new. In Jesus, and only through Jesus, we now have the purity of heart God requires. So was that all that Jesus was referring to when he talked of being pure in heart in this beatitude? The pure heart we need in order to become citizens of his kingdom? Well, I certainly think that is one part of what he was referring to, but also I think that when we examine what purity is, we can see that there are a few different kinds that the Bible describes. We've just looked at purity that comes from being reborn, perfect purity, Jesus purity. We might call that regenerated purity. It's not something that can come from ourselves. It's a purity that replaces our defective hearts. The Bible also describes what we could call practical purity, which is what we experience right now through obedience in our lives. So let's look at that now. Practical purity is the fruit of our regenerated pure hearts. It encompasses living according to the righteous laws God has given us, loving others, serving God, and worshiping Him. We can be reminded here of when we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness and the godliness we are able to live out. But remember, just like with the righteous deeds we do, with practical purity, God makes it clear that He is the agent through which we have the ability to live in obedience according to His ways. Listen to what God says about the Spirit moving us to obey Him in Ezekiel 36, 26-27. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Did you notice that God takes responsibility in making it possible for us to follow his laws? He's here to help us, encourage us, and move us to live in purity. That is one of the things the spirit does in our lives. What do you think are some practical ways that God moves us to obey him? 
Well, Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11 tells us, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I once heard it said about these verses that the psalmist is telling us that we are not the engine of our sanctification. God is the engine of our sanctification. The psalmist rushes to God, asks God to help him, and turns to God's word. Remember, sanctification is the process of being freed from sin or purified. It is meant to push us back onto God's grace, not push us further into our own effort. And I'm sure you've noticed that the more you grow to know God, the greater your awareness of your own inadequacy and sin becomes. Aren't you grateful we are able to run into our Father's loving and shepherding arms over and over again? Just like Psalm 119 lays out, our practical purity should be a single-minded devotion to God, dedication to His Word, and fellowship with our Father, walking in line with the Spirit He's given us. Because we still have sinful, mortal bodies, though, our sanctification will remain a continual purifying process here on earth. We won't arrive at undiluted purity here, and we all will wrestle within our own regenerated hearts. I know that I have that struggle to stay devoted only to God sometimes. I often let other rival priorities creep in ahead of Him, or I allow my heart to look for the favor of others instead of looking for God's first. But God always gently reminds me that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Isn't that just the essence of what these Beatitudes have been about? May the Holy Spirit remind us when we struggle to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus that we've been given His Word because He loves us, and He wants us to grow in grace through our obedience to the things He has put in Scripture. Listen to just one of those reminders about practical purity He's given us in Philippians. Philippians 4, 8-9. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He has shown us all over Scripture the pure ways in which He created us to live, and how pleasing it is, and for our own good, when we obey Him. I'm so thankful He hasn't left any mystery about what He desires from our hearts and our actions, and I'm also grateful that He gave us a living example of the way He wants us to live those out in Jesus. So now let's look at the example Jesus set for us when it comes to being pure in heart. And this is so simple and so short, but it is incredibly rich. One of our descriptions of being pure in heart depicts a singular focus to do what God desires, right? Jesus' singular desire was to do the will of His Father in heaven at all times. Everything Jesus did, He did in obedience to God. Jesus Himself summarizes this picture of being pure in heart in John chapter 8 when He said, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The One who sent me is with me. He has not left me, for I always do what pleases Him. What an amazing representation we see in Jesus. There is so much for us to imitate in His earthly life. 
Getting glimpses of Jesus' purity is in and of itself a purifying experience in our own lives because the holiness and purity of God will always uncover our own draw to things that are not pure, and God uses that to sanctify us. So now we will finish by talking about the blessing for those who are pure in heart. The blessing Jesus says is for those who are pure in heart is that they will see God. The Greek verb used here for will see could also be translated as will become visible. This is not only a future blessing, even though that is the most logical place we can go when we read this, but we'll cover that in a minute. In our earthly lives, when our hearts were reborn in purity, our sight was immediate, right? We were blind, but now we see. So we do see God now. We see Him in Scripture. We see Him in creation. We see His hand in the circumstances in our lives and the lives of others. We see Him in all of life. Those aren't things we were able to see before God purified us. Charles Spurgeon said, What a privilege it is to see God here. A glimpse of Him is heaven below. In Christ Jesus, the pure in heart, behold the Father. We see Him, His truth, His love, His purpose, His sovereignty, His covenant character. Yea, we see Himself in Christ. Isn't that so true? Seeing God is something we do get to experience in the present. We take part in this blessing now as we obey in practical purity every day and enjoy fellowship with Him. But our view of God right now is more like a shadow. No one has seen God. But what we do see of God now is more than enough to satisfy and yet also gives us a hope of what the full, clear picture will be one day. We see God dimly through faith right now as we wait for full sight and glorification one day. I love 1 Corinthians 13, 12 because Paul pens this great summary of the limitations of our mortal body and the view we get to look forward to with our future unobstructed sight. He says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. But then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Revelation 22 affirms this when it says that we will stand before God's throne and we shall see His face. Remember, on earth, visibly seeing God in all of His holiness meant death. That's why Moses was only given a partial glimpse of God's glory. In heaven, though, because of the pure heart that we've been given, we will be able to look upon the fullness of God's face and have life. So while we see only feebly now, we wait with eagerness for eternity when the purity of our hearts becomes the vital means by which our now glorified bodies can see God face to face and live. What a privilege it will be to see God and continuously live in His presence, just like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Until then, we long to live pure lives that match the purity Jesus showed us in the way He lived His life. And in humble gratitude, we praise King Jesus for the perfect purity He lived that is already credited to our accounts. As we long to see God face to face one day, let's continue to allow God to transform us completely into His holy image. And let our prayer be like that of David's in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Thank you for joining me today. Next week, we will look at the seventh beatitude and talk about being peacemakers. 
You can find out more information about this study on our church's website, cbcglendora.org, and in the show notes. Feel free to share this podcast with anyone who might be interested. Thanks, friends, and we'll see you next week.